Become a member today. Head over to burnthisworld.com and click the Become a Member button. That membership helps support me doing the Burn This World podcast full-time, and it also helps me as a full-time musician. You get a lot of exclusive content on there, not only for the podcast, but also on my music side. So you hear Browning music before it's released. You hear music that never got put on records. You also hear stuff for projects, other projects that I'm working on. You get entered into giveaways every single month for merchandise. So you get all sorts of cool stuff, and it really does help support. It's only $3, but that $3 goes a heck of a long way collectively. So again, burnthisworld.com, click become a member for $3 a month or $30 for an entire year and help support everything that we're doing at the Burn This World podcast and that I'm doing as a full-time musician. I appreciate you. Hey, what's up? This is Johnny McBee and you're listening to the Burn This World podcast. Yeah, I grew up in upstate New York, and yeah. I just remember in the 90s, I don't know if you remember a band called All Out War. Yes. So, did you ever, I think it was at The Chance. Do you, do you yes, I know the chance, the chance, yeah. There's all these just like... Is that Poughkeepsie? Dudes, like, what's that? Is that Poughkeepsie? Jim? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they're um, just smashed beer bottles on the fucking <laughs> the floor, and people just just getting the shit beat out of them and it was just like the fuck like yeah. <laughs> you don't really see that much anymore no you really don't and uh especially at the chance because the pit area at that is like probably 15 yeah, foot by like five foot <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, it's I, like a shoebox yeah literally uh my band always quotes it because um one of the last times we were there instead of calling for a circle pit i said spin this rectangle because they're <laughs> just in this I, little square like, yeah, rectangle there yeah um and so what do you what do you think the proper way to mosh is good question it's weird i don't know if it's because my age but i don't really when i go to a show i'm kind of like far away from everybody (laughs) so it's kind of like what i want the fans to do it's Mm kind of i like to observe it yeah so whatever they do i mean i try to provoke the worst (laughs) when it comes to moshing yeah, so true that's our job yeah but i i don't want to be involved in it <laughs> so right so do your thing i'll be <laughs> on the other side of the room definitely yeah i'm i'm as far away from a pit as i possibly can be when i'm at a show so right. i'm right there with you but i have kind of stopped calling for the hardcore dancing because it it does seem to lead to more fights and that sort of thing so i'm kind of i've Tended away from it, but I still can't help myself sometimes. I still call for it. So it's just natural. Yeah. It's kind of weird because when we perform, I'm always provoking the worst in a mosh pit. But then when it gets to a point where it becomes like actual fighting, uh-huh. I, re- I remember playing a show and this dude is just beating the fuck out of this girl. Yeah. And I literally stopped the whole thing and I'm mm-hmm. like, beat the fuck out of him or get him out you know like <laughs> right. you just don't do that shit mm-hmm. you know I, I think it's just like there's a, a fine line of the definitely. respect when it comes to it oh for sure i mean yeah i've, I've definitely on stage been like i want to see violence swing those fists and then when people start fighting i'm like what are you idiots doing like right? <laughs> it's like you asked for it dude come on <laughs> yeah it's when it just becomes like not fun yeah. anymore we want it's... fun violence not angry violence yeah, they should use it towards the right. 
there you, you go. Know. <laughs> Sources, I guess. Definitely. Um, do you prefer? Um, do you prefer on the electronic side of music? Do you prefer it to where it is more in like in in? What am I trying to say? In uh, included in another genre, or do you prefer just like straight electronic music? Well, I mean, we 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 incorporate metal with the industrial electronic side, mm-hmm. and to me, what I tell everybody because I'm the one who actually writes mm-hmm. all all of Donna Bash's albums, it's more of mood based. It's yeah. like whatever I'm feeling is what makes the music, whatever I'm listening to currently. So it, I guess it just depends. Yeah, it depends on the album and what's going on in my head well that's the beauty of synths is you can get so much out of synthesizers as so many emotions and so many uh so much so many different levels of energy you can have a really soft uh synth that gives a nice atmosphere and then you can have a really hard aggressive synth that makes you want to mosh even though it's just a synth yeah it's just my inspirations is so all over the place i i remember certain points i'm like oh i i'm i'm only gonna listen to black metal and incorporate black metal into this and mm-hmm. then i don't know if it's like the older i got i'm just kind of like picking off of everything now definitely <laughs> yeah uh and so whenever you're sitting down in the um in the writing process because i think you're in a very similar situation to me where you are writing them like everything and i you said that you started Dawn of Ashes back in 2001. Yeah, 2001. Yeah, and I started the Browning back in like 2005 or so. And it's been been a solo project essentially since then. I've had members throughout the years, but no one that was really like a creative force in the process of it um, to a heavy degree. And so when I get this question nonstop from people that are fans of the band, and I'm sure you do as well, like whenever you sit down to write um, in this in these songs that have so many layers, have so many different influences, what is the first thing you go to to get the basis of your song? Like, what is the first kind of sound you're looking for? Or is it based off of, like, lyrical content that get turned into music? Or is it just, like, you're finding the vibe? What's the first thing you go to to really find the basis of your song? See, it, that's, that's a rough question because, it, again, it all depends on what i'm currently going through what is inspiring me um like re- like the last album scars of the broken i was going through a lot of personal mm-hmm. stuff so that was the main drive for the album and i actually didn't care where it was going to go i yeah. didn't care if no one liked it it was kind of like one of those things i had to i had to put out there i had to do so that was kind of the driving force of that album. But also I was, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff with Eurorack modules. So I started writing with a lot of hardware, just kind of fucking with like, you know, weird sounds from, from Eurorack modules. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I, I feel like I have a structure in my writing with Dawn of Ashes. So no matter what is going on or what my inspiration is or what's going on in my head i still have my formula mm-hmm. so that that that's what kind of makes every album a donna bash album it, they may sound different but there's still that formula yeah and i mean uh the 
and for anyone that is listening to this that doesn't know Donovash's sound, it's very, very heavy electronic, industrial, um, but with some very, very heavy vocals as well. And so I personally really enjoy that style. I, I'm familiar with Donovash's music a lot because a lot of Browning fans request that music in like live streams and everything. So it's uh, very relative. And it's actually part of a conversation that I have quite a bit where I say, like, I would love to do a project that was like pretty much fully electronic, but had a metal like tonality. And your music is that exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's what I've noticed with industrial metal. There's not a lot of industrial extreme metal bands. Yes. The only. I mean, there's a few, but the the main one I can think of is Fear Factory, and that was yep. such a huge inspiration. And I don't know if you remember uh, Nail Bomb back in the '90s. Yeah. Um, but I I haven't really heard anything where it's like, like, I don't know. I I would say the closest thing would maybe be Author and Punisher. Um, and his stuff is very crazy, but yours is even more metal like tangent than his is i would say uh, he's just doing some crazy unique stuff has you have you seen his setup i actually i saw him live with yeah. three teeth um mm-hmm. i don't even remember it was a couple of years ago yeah but yeah his 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 stuff's dope i like how he created this machine monster machine <laughs> thing yeah. that he does yeah I think that's pretty cool but see so i love aspects of industrial music but as a whole i don't particularly like industrial because a lot of times it can get too droney for me it can be too like samey throughout um just my part maybe i'm adhd or it's you know i got into things in a little different way um but like your music it does just have this like very heavy drive um to it that i i do enjoy it quite a bit more than standard industrial music and so um where was your first kind of influence in the industrial like straight because i would actually put your music more towards industrial than any other genre i don't know if you would um so when i created dawn of ashes it again it was my solo mm-hmm. thing and it was i started it because i was tired of dealing with other musicians oh, for sure i, I yeah. just did not <laughs> jive with other musicians and originally i was um gonna do an industrial like straight black metal group okay um i don't know if you remember the covenant yes not not the like ebm group but the actual <laughs> black metal yeah covenant yeah. with a k i was there i don't remember what album it was i was really into that album and i was like fuck i want to just do something like this maybe like me and a guitarist and that's it Mm -hmm. and then i started going into some of the industrial goth clubs in hollywood in the early 2000s and i i there was a couple of acts that i started getting into and i was like you know what i'm gonna try to create this type of music yeah and I got good at it and but then there was a certain point where i wanted the metal side i, I miss performing with a band mm-hmm. i missed like heavy breakdowns i hit i missed you know just the whole vibe of being in a metal band so mm-hmm. I, I 
kind of made the mistake <laughs> in 2012 and kind of did went full extreme metal mm-hmm. and we signed to metal blade and and there was a lot we alienated or all of the fans that you know grew up listening to us to the more industrial sides yeah and so industri- I that was industrial fans are <laughs> industrial fans are very diehard too yeah i mean same metal fans are as well well i mean diehard as in like if someone likes industrial a lot of times that is absolutely what they listen to like it's true that's it's it true uh you know <laughs> And so they did you guitars and they're like, yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> or if the guitars are a little too like crisp, then they're like not happening. It needs to be a lot muddier, a lot, a lot more fuzz going on. Um, right. So you felt like, so Dawn of Ashes itself went full band and went and signed to metal blade and everything. Yeah. It was around 2010. Yeah. And we released uh, like two straight up metal mm-hmm. symphonic metal albums and we went on tour with Demu Burger and and then we left Metal Blade and I decided to bring all the industrial back in but not alienating the metal Mm -hmm. sound which in my opinion we should have done yeah from from the beginning definitely and so so did you feel like kind of like did Metal Blade push you in the direction like maybe you should get more metal to be with us or did you more so just like you said you wanted to kind of have that full band thing going again and at that time there wasn't really too much of like um music like ours that is a full col- collaboration between electronic and metal band and uh interesting that's right around the time whenever the browning was really getting going too so did you feel like you had to get more metal to be like a touring band in that time you know i was to be honest, I was kind of nervous about mm-hmm. incorporating what we were doing with metal. Mm-hmm. And now I'm seeing a lot of bands doing it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. I'm, like, I'm like, fuck, if I just <laughs> kind of wasn't afraid to do that, maybe, I don't know, maybe things would be a little bit different. But, you know, things happen for a reason. Right. And um, I think each Dawn of Ashes album has its own charm. Yeah. I think so, that I think right now is the best time to be doing electronic metal collaboration. I mean, you're um, now it's like the main style of music in video games. A lot of like movie trailers It is absolutely the best time to be doing like aggressive electronic like rock metal stuff. Um, and so I think that people like us that have been doing it for so long actually have a big advantage to take advantage of that. I know. And, I, you know, I've seen bands doing it now. I, mm-hmm. You know, I saw uh, motionless white come out of nowhere and i was just like you know yeah it was a trip saying motionless white because i was like oh they have this look that (laughs) we've been doing for a long time and Uh they actually pulled off the yeah mixing whatever metalcore and industrial i guess and so being having doing that even with that same look uh and that style like, why do you think it is that something like Motionless and White really pulled it off in a way that has been so hyper successful? Now, they, they do have stuff that is a lot more commercially accessible than stuff like than me and you, right? Um, right. But what do you think it is that really had them popping off? I think they're, they have a, 
a young crowd, mm-hmm. a young crowd who's never heard the stuff that we've heard. Oh, definitely. Like they, they are a um, now, especially an an introductory to heavier music band for a younger generation. Hundred percent. Yeah, uh, you know the whole like goth thing or industrial thing. These younger kids don't they don't know what it is. The Motionless and White is basically the new Marilyn Manson that True. you know I don't know if you're ever into Marilyn Manson. Yeah, well, for sure. You know, Antichrist Superstar and mm-hmm. that was the album that kind of <laughs> I feel like these kids now gravitate towards motionless light the same way we gravitated towards you know antichrist superstar and all those albums definitely i mean they they have a big sound and they have a a big image and really um yeah i i, I kind of mentioned that to ricky when i had him on the podcast i was like do you see you guys as this band that people are going to look back and you know have like feelings like me and you do towards maybe uh Marilyn manson or like like you with nine inch nails like it's interesting to think like and especially now with how long uh we've been doing music i have people that are coming up to me that are like i started listening to you in elementary school and i'm like you're an adult <laughs> like what the heck that, that's funny because I, I i just had this conversation because i was like fuck i feel old because people will come up to me and they're like in their 30s they're like i grew up listening to you guys in you know <laughs> middle school and high school and i'm like yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Fuck. Between us <laughs> that long. Right. Yeah. And uh, so what do you see as the the biggest difference in the industrial music, uh, not only sound-wise, but in, the, in that kind of scene and the stuff that um, you make? Like, what do you see as the biggest difference from whenever you started this, 2001, till now? I mean, the music industry has just changed drastically. And, you know, in 2001, there were, what did we have myspace was myspace around in 2001 i think that was like kind of right around the start okay so i i know that we became successful from myspace mm-hmm. there was no algorithms and all this bullshit that we have to <laughs> yeah. deal with now it's like you go on tour and everybody sees it mm-hmm. you don't have to like fucking pay for shit just for your fans to see that you're going on tour and Mm -hmm. it's just a lot rougher now i think because it's everything i feel is based on social media now yeah definitely and i feel like back then uh everything was based off of like what band is going on tour like if you were a band going on tour then people wanted to know about you rather than now it's like oh you're going on tour i don't care like how many what how many spotify monthly listeners do you have you know <laughs> yeah I feel, I feel like people i don't know if i'm wrong about this but i feel like people were more stoked about music mm-hmm. and i i feel like people are kind of almost lazy about it now like you know they don't they don't I don't know. Yeah, I know. If you look, if you look at it from a purely entertainment standpoint, of like people go to this for their entertainment, um, people have a heck of a lot more options to be more entertained now than listening to this stuff. You know, people right. will be um, they can get on Netflix and sit there for freaking twenty five hours straight watching everything under the sun, where it's like I feel like the majority of 
music now gets consumed when you're in the car on the way to work or if you're playing video games or at the gym. That's like the three times when music is used as entertainment for people. Um, and so it's like now people are going to so many other things for uh, entertainment. And, you know, as much as I, I'm a musician and I don't want to say this, but podcasts as well, like I'm doing podcasts, podcasts take a ton away from the time people spend listening to music as well. So right. entertainment back then, I felt like music was something that people sat down and just listened to some music. <laughs> yeah and again i mean i hate to sound like a broken record but social media has just really kind of damaged things mm. it's it makes things not as accessible to fans and that sucks that you yep. know fans are losing information because they can't see it yep yeah because and straight up for anyone that doesn't know it's like like the browning is like 220,000 likes on Facebook. If I do a post, it reaches like 15,000. If I wanted to reach that full 250, 220,000 people, it would cost probably $10,000, maybe more at least. And that that's absolutely insane. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, I big thing that I really appreciate about your music is, um, you know, you have a, a big catalog going back and you have very much kept this, a very similar sound throughout. Um, and so is this, uh, at, at least like, um, you know, you might've had a few tensions of going over towards a little more metal, but overall this very atmospheric, very driving electronic, aggressive electronic music with, uh, heavy vocals. And so I am just curious, um, very much about your, your writing process. Uh, songwriting is like the main thing that I focus on, uh, myself. Like I focus on production, but mainly about songwriting itself. And so writing this music how are you also keeping yourself um like from writing the same thing for the past you know however many years like from just repeating the same song i can i find myself accidentally writing my old songs sometimes i feel like that's why i made the change mm-hmm. after our second album when we were just kind of purely electronic because i felt like and I, I, I've seen other acts that have a similar sound from our, the f- first two Dawn of Ashes album. And they're, they, to me, they all just sound the fucking same. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I'm always like, I want to progress each album yeah, and, and offer something different. And I feel like that comes from either what's, whatever's going on in my head or what i'm listening to at the time mm-hmm. i don't know i i think i take the ch- i take the chance with incorporating certain things that i don't know how fans would yeah feel about it i i, I just go with it and yeah. if they don't like it i'm just you know <laughs> yeah i mean that's just how it's got to be especially when you're so deep into a career is you have to you have to take chances on uh, you know, kind of evolving in a way, no matter what that happens with the fan base. All right, I can have your music playing on my phone right now. One second, <laughs> one accident. I was I was looking up your um other project as as well, Void Stasis. Um, and so Void Stasis is very much like a big dark atmospheric um project. So what's your what's your goals with that? So besides Dawn of Ashes, I do dark ambient. 
Yeah. Um, which that's what void stasis is. I do a lot of like music scores. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a dark ambient album actually back in 2010. It's not really the greatest album in my opinion, but a lot of fans requested that I, I do that again. Yeah. So, um, I started heavily getting back into hardware synthesizers and your yeah. rack modules. So, um, I, I was randomly playing Destiny 2 mm-hmm. and came up with Void Stasis. There you go. Just playing the game. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a dark ambient project. Yeah. So, you know, that's how that came about. We ended up signing to a label. And now I'm currently actually working on my own album. Mm-hmm. And it kind of separates the, the formula of what I do in Dawn of Ashes. And it's like, you know, I don't have to worry about writing vocals and wearing mm. guitars and i just you know fuck with synth- synthesizers and and the Eurorack modules and um it's just all mood based yeah and those the whenever you're working with like physical synths like the the Eurorack and everything like that i feel like that is really how you get a lot more unique of like ambient tones and drones and stuff like that is being able to physically manipulate the hardware rather right. than software. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's um, with your rack modules, it's really fun because you can create a sound. And once you kind of like take the patch cables out, it's gone. Yep. You never, <laughs> unless you like document what you did you can't really get that sound back. I mean, even on the last Dawn of Ashes album, there was stuff I made with Eurorack modules and I have no fucking idea what I did. <laughs> and I, and that's kind of exciting. It's mm-hmm. chaotic. You're like, you know, if someone asks you, can you make that sound again? I'm going to be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's awesome though, because it also kind of really puts you in that moment and dials you in. Um, rather than the standard like synth stuff now, you turn on a preset or you're turning on uh you're basing stuff off of presets and stuff like that. And you can even start there with like a hero act, but it also just puts you a lot more in that moment and doing like minute uh detail like manipulation to get these unique sounds. And so it really does turn it fully unique because like you said, you can't even recreate it again. So <laughs> no one else is gonna be able to as well. Yeah, unless I again put it in a notebook and <laughs> yeah that and that that's how you sell your um your rack uh presets is you just sell an actual notebook <laughs> with the the hand-drawn like notes in there of how to make it well i actually I'm, like currently i'm making a sample pack with all like the sounds that i make Sick. from this stuff so yeah and you said that um you do some movie scores and you like to create music like that and so um uh how does someone like you that's been a long-term musician in this pretty specific sound like how how do you monetize this side of stuff a lot of people who listen to my podcast are up-and-coming musicians or people that are trying to make it or trying to make a career out of this so how to how do you go about attempting to monetize like music and the career in this realm i mean i do a lot of music freelance work mm-hmm. so um producing other artists remixing mm-hmm. uh, it's just whatever i can do with mm-hmm. my skills definitely and you got to take advantage of what makes you unique 
hundred percent. And like doing the remixes and stuff and creating unique sounds for other people. That's and especially producing on the side, even if it's doing synth work for people that might not have the time or ability or, you know, equipment. And so, yeah, I mean, I've done some ghost producing for some acts and, um, some acts will just want, you know, orchestra or synth work. So mm-hmm. what is yeah. your favorite side of your music to work on? Like what is the, your favorite part to actually get down, get to doing? Um, I think the orchestra orchestration, mm-hmm. uh, cause I've done a lot of music for trailers, like, like, uh, commercial trailers, mm-hmm. movie trailers. And I learned some techniques from that. And, you know, I, like one of the things I would love to do is do the scoring for like a video game. Mm-hmm. Just have like do like full crazy orchestra stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly one of my biggest, like I, I'm more so t- like go to more towards movie, but I would absolutely love to work full time for a studio, like a movie studio, like making film. I would love to work for like Blumhouse or something to where I could just oh, yeah. make like really dark like ambient music with some like soft piano melodies and just that sort of stuff. Absolutely love doing that. And, um, love paying attention to like film scores. Like even whenever I'm writing music, I get a lot of inspiration from that kind of stuff. Like even whenever writing like a Browning album, like we were watching handmaid's tale, uh, whenever I was writing the last album and they had this repeating, uh, thing, whenever things started getting a little intense, there was just this background synth that was like highly distorted, but background enough where it wasn't annoying, but it was just going just back and forth in this really distorted tone. And whenever things would get intense. So I used that on my last album, I made my own version of it. And as things would build on spots of the album, I would have that in the background to like build this tension. Nice. And so whenever you're writing music, it is like, even with like Dawn of Ashes stuff is um, score and that sort of process. Is that something that you really pay attention to implement into the music as well? Yeah. I mean, I love soundtracks. Um, I'm a huge Hans Zimmer fan. Oh, yeah. So I've literally, uh, I remember when Prometheus came out That's a good one. and it has like one of the best soundtracks. And I literally studied the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. And I did that with a couple of soundtracks. And I'm also into a lot of symphonic black metal. So um, all of like the uh, Septic Flesh and Demu and mm-hmm. Old Cradle of Filth. I would literally listen to the orchestra stuff. Oh, just sure. kind of zone everything out besides the orchestra and kind of, <laughs> and I just learned the formula. Mm-hmm. And, kept doing it and doing it and doing it until i i got good at it and so with because i also uh, all those bands you just named i like them for the exact same reason uh i i'm not huge into black metal uh for a lot of reasons because i feel like most of the time the production really lacks seemingly intentionally uh mm-hmm. but not stuff like demo their productions through the roof um you know and that the symphonic black metal stuff is what i really really uh, can get behind and what uh what's your favorite demo song well my favorite album is death called armageddon okay. and um can i think of the i'm drawing a blank on the the name of the song because it starts with a v 
V. <laughs> There's so many. They have, they probably have like 900 songs by now. <laughs> I know. I can't think of the name yeah. of the song. I'm sure some fan will they know point it, it out. And so but, with Demu, like what, like the um, orchestral aspect, how do you feel about them uh, locking in like full orchestras for their big performances now? I mean, they have the money to do it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I would love to do that myself, but I mean, I can't imagine the budget. <laughs> yeah, I mean, same with Septic Flush. I um, mm -hmm. I used to talk to the the lead singer. I remember I, I hit them up about using their orchestra, and they sent me how much it would cost, and I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I'll I'll stick with you know contact libraries and <laughs> definitely. And I mean, with how contact libraries are now, um, you know, they, they are actual like sampled orchestras. So it's right. like, you're pretty much right there. Uh, and like modern production, uh, that is a, a huge thing is the difference of whenever I first started this to where production is now. Um, like the only like, you know, strings that I had back in, you know, 2004, 2005, app just sounded like a synthesizer but somehow it's considered a string you know it's the difference is so crazy and so do you use a lot of like east west and stuff like that or what do you use uh i have a, a lot of stuff i i mean i use a lot of native instrument stuff yeah and, same. Uh, um spitfire audio mm -hmm. heaviosity yeah uh, um i don't know i have so much shit <laughs> yeah and it kind of piles up do you do you think it's kind of distracting having so many options no because when it comes to i feel like when you create orchestra like let's example a staccato string mm -hmm. what i learned from doing trailers is that you you have to stack them up but you use different libraries you okay. don't use the same one and that's how you kind of create your own unique mm -hmm. um you know sound when it comes to certain parts of the orchestra. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense but because, yeah, you would get totally different tones between the two, and it would probably layer better rather than maybe when they tracked one library, they had, you know, a lot of one frequency when at the other library, they might not, they might have had more of a different frequency, and so it could right. probably layer better. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I guess, so whenever you're doing stuff with the void stasis, like this ambient, dark ambient music, are you mainly on like the physical hardware synths? So I work with two other artists. So that so it's me and two other mm -hmm. artists, and they use a lot of Eurorack as well. Mm -hmm. I kind of do a lot of Eurorack, but I'm also using VSTs mm -hmm. as well. Um, same with my solo album that i'm doing right now i kind of go back and forth yeah because there's just to me certain things you that are very hard to do on your rack alone mm -hmm. like if i want to do choirs and stuff like that yeah. um it's it's really difficult to do it on on your rack you'd basically have to because I, I have a a module where it's like a, it's a sampler i would have to sample oh, okay. choir and then do it when i can just kind of pull out <laughs> right. contact library and you know can you run like um can you do like an output of your computer directly into like a euro rack to like run like live samples like that or do you have to record it onto the device 
I mean, I have a module and basically I can plug my iPhone into it and oh, sample. Sick. So okay. I'll go onto YouTube and just sample something oh, that's put it into the module. Yeah. It, it's interesting watching videos of, you know, like old production where they had to sample everything, uh, you know, like especially like um, hip hop producers and stuff, how they had to literally put a record on and like sample like a little section and then like twist it up. It's so interesting. Uh thinking about like that time frame compared to now like if those dudes had like if dr dre had access whenever they were writing all their stuff back in the day to the crap they do now imagine i know it's definitely a lot easier now (laughs) and uh so you said whenever you what one thing that really inspired you to get into this specific um genre was in hollywood you were going to like goth uh, clubs and whatnot um and in hollywood i feel like so much of stuff is kind of like who you're around and there's like you know clicks of different styles of people throughout like the city and different clubs and stuff and um was there like just djs at these clubs or was there like full bands playing like what was the uh, kind of vibe? mainly djs i mean mm-hmm. i would go to kind of or i would go to you know industrial shows and see industrial bands play yeah. But, and this was like another thing for me. When I would go to an industrial show, like back in the day, there was something missing every single time. And I was just like, and live, I wanted to do what I did in hardcore bands and metal bands. Yeah. I feel like that's what people enjoyed about us mm. is that, you know, it wasn't just some guy on a keyboard. And a guy standing there singing. Right. That to me, that shit's boring. Uh-huh. I can't stand seeing a band do that. <laughs> so I'm like, I would go to some of these shows and be like, man, sounds good, but this is fucking boring. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and I, I was watching some live video of, of you guys, and you absolutely do go crazy on stage. I try. <laughs> now it's it's older I get. I'm like, last tour, I'm like, how the fuck am I? How am I still doing this? Right. And I, I see so many hyper successful metal bands that are just like chilling. And, mm-hmm. you know, they'll, they'll like a breakdown a hit, they'll do like two headbangs and then they'll kind of just like walk back and forth. And I'm like, I, maybe I need to chill out some. Maybe that's my problem is maybe I do just need to like do a couple headbangs and, you know, fo- just chill out a little bit. To me, I'd rather not do music if I'm going right. to get to that point. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but, um, that's something I learned growing up in the hardcore scene in New York. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Hapery before, mm-hmm. before they were big. They were just kind of like a, a band from Connecticut that would come to New York. Yeah. But like the interaction between them and the, the fans and the energy, yeah. it's like it would, their energy would strike a fire into to the fans and create Definitely. energy there you, you can't really do that if you're just fucking standing there or <laughs> right. kind of half-assing it like you if my whole thing is you either go 100 percent or just like i don't know don't yeah. do it. and <laughs> that was a struggle on the last tour i had because i was dealing with health issues on the tour and i was like fuck i can't do what i normally can do and i was getting i, I remember being with my band i was like fucking pissed every night yeah 
I'm like, I'm pulling out. I almost quit the whole, like the whole tour. Cause I was just like, if I can't do what I normally mm-hmm. can do, what is the, Definitely. I, I just, I literally did what I did and was like in fucking pain the whole time. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. That that's one of the worst parts of the tour is not being able to heal from being sick. And, uh, I, and for me very much so metal is all about that live energy and it is absolutely what draws me to it. Like, um, you know, I've considered like, Oh, what if I, you know, went and you know played some softer music live like if i had a project because i'm capable of as a lot of people are of writing softer stuff and writing other genres but i would never in my freaking life want to play that stuff live because you are 100 percent reliant on like the crowd singing the song like that's the only interaction they can do if they're not singing or clapping or something they're just sitting there staring at you and i i could not deal with that at all and so like metal it doesn't, it doesn't require anyone to know the music. It doesn't require any of that. People go crazy and it just, um, and I'm right there with you. I cannot get myself to chill out. There's so many times that we've started a tour and I'd be like, I would say to my band, okay, I'm like bassist. You yell at the crowd tonight because I need to preserve my voice. It's the first night of tour. If I scream at the crowd, I'm going to blow my voice. And, but then I'm, I jump on stage and I'm like, what's up? You know, I'm just yelling and running around, jumping and I blow my voice out and I'm like, I literally can't get myself to not do that. It's, I really can't. And I'll blow my voice out. I won't be able to scream, but I'll still be on stage looking like an idiot headbanging and jumping around and crap. And it's just in our blood. I can't not do it. It's the music has too much energy. And how can I expect the crowd to get into it if I'm not getting into it? Exactly. I've learned some techniques from bands that we perform with. I remember we performed with the Acacia Strain, which I'm actually mm-hmm. a huge fan of. And I was just like, fuck. Like when I saw them live, I'm like, this fucking dude is the singer. <laughs> and I don't know. It just kind of stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Same with um, Suicide Silence when we played with Suicide Silence. Yeah. With, um, like yeah they, I, 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 it's just insane you yeah know? and those are legendary frontmen in in the genre it's funny the someone tweeted at um vincent the singer of acacia strain asked mm-hmm. him what um the worst band to ever exist was and he said the browning <laughs> really yeah and i i thought it was absolutely hilarious because we had one experience with acacia strain and it was the browning's like second show ever uh but it was in our hometown so we were playing you know towards the top of the bill because i had a lot of pre-existing fans from other bands and stuff and the browning like like same with you we got really popular on myspace before we did anything so a lot of people there to see us um but we had issues where our laptop kept stopping in the middle of songs just over and over and we couldn't fix it and uh I, we later figured out that it was because I was running like a hard drive laptop and if it got vibrations, it would slow down the disc so it wouldn't scratch. Right. <laughs> we had the same issue. Mm-hmm. I remember it, w- it was actually in Albany mm-hmm. when we, we were on metal blade and I remember we had the 808 pad mm-hmm. and he, he hit the 808 pad and the laptop would bounce Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and literally get off yep. track. Definitely. Yeah. We're like all, fucking yeah and so our only experience with them was 
it was a it was a big crowd because obviously Acacia Strain draws, and at that time we were in a hometown was drawing a lot too, and uh, probably about seven times just in the middle of songs we just had to straight up stop because the laptop just turned off. I'm like, well, I can't play without synths. Like, what am I supposed to do here? And so right. it's funny because that tweet happened like probably nine years after that, but we made such an impression that he thinks the Browning is the worst band to ever exist. So I can appreciate that. And he remembered yeah. the name. So, hey. <laughs> well, it must have been somewhat memorable for him. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's that's one thing with, with the Browning's name. I said, whether people think it's stupid or cool, they're going to remember it. So, hey. But, as, in, but, and I've said on the podcast before, the name of the Browning is like my absolute biggest regret. Uh, it was something that, you know, I started this when I was young, didn't think it would ever be something, so I just named it that. Didn't change it when I made it a full band. So I didn't think it mattered. 100% my biggest regret in not only my career, but my life. Because I think I'd be in like a totally different position if it had a proper name. And so in your career with doing this, uh, what, was, what was your biggest regret? The whole switching full-blown metal. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like I don't think of it as a regret. But, mm-hmm. or Because... A lot of opportunities came from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I don't know if those opportunities would have came to us if we didn't do that. You know, we didn't um, make that move. You know, I don't know if Metal Blade would have ever signed us. I don't know if we would have gone on that tour. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a lot of good opportunities when when we were signed to Metal Blade and. Um, but, you know, probably we would have got to the same position even if we still incorporated the synths and stuff in it. Yeah. And it's like, and you're right. It's hard. It, you can't necessarily look at things as um, regrets because, I mean, even same with the Browning, like maybe if the name was something typical, maybe it never would have got to where I was in the first place. Maybe the stupid name helped, uh, you know, or at least gave some opportunities. And, um, you know, and especially being in that moment, whenever you are having like the opportunity, like a big label, legendary label, like metal blades hitting you up and you're trying to adapt in that moment and do the right thing. Like, you know, it can, it's hard to make those kind of decisions, especially when you're talking about like career decisions. Right. So I'll admit one thing. Let's hear it. One of your guys's album was an in- inspiration from my last album was it yeah which one Um, because there's one album i really fucking love by you guys yeah Uh, um it's that one with pure evil on it yeah isolation yeah there's that song dragon on it and that song was i an inspiration on the last album yeah what about it it's just uh i don't know the chorus the chorus is just it's epic Heck yeah. And so like from that, because I, I feel like the ultimate purpose of music is to inspire others to create because like who knows if I would ever have like a, a major successful career. But if somehow I inspire someone else and they have that, like that's the whole point, I feel like. um, And so, you know, I, I absolutely love hearing stuff like that. And so uh, like what. So from that, because now I'm just curious, like the the chorus of it. You mean like the big synth with like the big like? I've always like 
someone said this to me, the label that I'm on for my ambient stuff, he always, he mentions to me that I'm really good at doing harmonics mm-hmm. when it comes to synths. And it's the hook of the chorus that I think really got to me. It's very uplifting and yeah. I don't know. To me, I know like a song's good when you get like the goosebumps on it mm-hmm. because of the, the chorus. Yeah. And I don't know if that song kind of just hit me in a way. That's awesome. And it's it's so interesting to me, um, that song particularly, because something does really resonate with fans like from that album, that's like the the big standout. And um the big inspiration for me for writing music like that was um Rammstein. Because one thing that Rammstein does that most like hyper successful bands won't do is they will do choruses that is all music. Like they won't do vocals. They'll do like a chant, uh, like a like a two word chant or something in the chorus. But the point of the chorus is this melody, whether it's synth or guitar lead. And so that completely changed my mind. Because I'm like, well, if we're doing aggressive music where the vocals aren't very melodic. Like we in this style of music have an advantage of having the most melodic in, uh, instrument, which is a synth. You can do anything with it. So I was like, instead of trying to have the chorus be the vocal, have the chorus just be the music. So I've based so many of my songs now off of that. Uh, like Skybreaker is one of the most successful songs we have. Dragon, one of the most successful songs. I just make the the synth be what the singing part of the chorus rather than me trying to sing something, just let the music speak for itself. Yeah, we had a similar, We, had, I mean, back in the pure electronic days, mm-hmm. one of our biggest songs was a song Abyss. Everybody fucking like, even now when we perform it. Really? And it's, it's weird to do it now because now we have a full band doing it. But the reason why people love that song so much is because of the sample. So I sampled Alien Resurrection. Okay. And when we play that song, it's like everybody's screaming the 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 <laughs> sample. Like that's that's yeah, like the hook of the song. And it's it's just it's bizarre. It's like <laughs> who would think a, a a movie sample would be the the driving force behind a, a well, song? It used to be a lot bigger of a thing to do stuff like that, especially in like deathcore and stuff. Like everything would stop, and then there'd be a a movie sample play, and then go into the breakdown. No one does that anymore. Yeah, I know. I uh, I was listening to Black Dahlia Murder, mm-hmm. and they they sampled Monster Squad, and like I'm a huge horror fan, and I was like, oh my god, it's Monster Squad. That's <laughs> fucking awesome. It got you know you get stoked about stuff about that. I guess definitely, and maybe people now are just too like concerned about like copyright infringement or you know crap yeah. like that. Like whenever I submit, because we're signed to Universal, unfortunately. And the uh, they are like, do you have any any samples, anything that we need to go try to you know do all this stuff? And so it's like I even completely avoid any of that stuff now because I don't want to deal with paperwork to have like some you know three second sample in a song. And yeah, we we had to deal with that with Metal Blade. I remember I sampled Richard Ramirez, and they were like, no, you can't do that because the families are going to come attack us, (laughs) and so. I don't know if I should even say this on here, but I literally fucked with the sample. Okay, there you go. And I told him that I re-recorded it yourself, but it really was the same. <laughs> oh, I've I've done some stuff uh, very similar. Um, the Browning song "Sick Minds." It's the first song on Geist. Uh, 
the there's this really eerie ambient sound that happens in the breakdown uh like it's the main sound of the song and you would never guess it but it was just the spongebob theme slowed down 800 percent nice <laughs> you would never guess that sound was that it's just this eerie like sound like happening and it it's super long but it's just the spongebob theme but don't tell any don't tell spongebob people that please that's <laughs> On the Void Stasis album, I literally sampled an acapella of Elvis and fu- and put it in the sam- the module and fucked with it, and no one knows. That's so that sick. It, it just it sounds so fucking creepy. Yeah, and like if you listen to it, you, you have no idea that's what it is. Exactly, I know what it is. Well, and the thing is, like, you can legally do that. Like, it's not like it's because you have a certain um range of it has to be altered x amount to be able to be used so it's like there's absolutely no problem doing stuff like that and um i think that i think some artists would think it'd be awesome and i maybe maybe i need to get that euro rack just to do that (laughs) just to do that sort of stuff because you can really get such unique stuff even um in the browning song uh industry that i i'm I do all the synth stuff. I can make all sorts of cool synth stuff, but I'm not good at doing like dubstep sounds ever. Um, but it, it was back in those days, people wanted that sound. I was never really into it, but people really wanted it. And so to get the sound for that, um, I actually sampled a Transformers movie trailer and then yeah. and then sampled it and played like a wah, 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 with like this two second sample from a Transformers movie trailer that's awesome you got to do it i mean it's it, like the sounds are just sitting there waiting to be used no one's using it <laughs> i know i've sampled some interesting stuff yeah <laughs> well now I, I really do want to look into that euro rack i mean those things are expensive though aren't they yeah it's definitely uh once you go down the rabbit hole it becomes very <laughs> very expensive like how much does like base model of like something like that cost well, you have to buy the the case. Oh no! So, <laughs> I I have two cases. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how much. It's it just thousands. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. What I was expecting like four, five, something like that. Like getting up there, probably. Because I mean, one module alone is like six hundred dollars. That's just one module. Oh, so you're literally building like, this is my chorus module. This is my ensemble. This is my flanger. Like, is it like that or? So how, how the easiest way I can explain it is you take a synthesizer mm-hmm. and you know you have your your envelope and your your reverbs yeah. and your oscillators. So picture building your own. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what it is. You, you basically if, once you look at a a synth, you'll know what yep. everything is because you're basically just building right. Um a synthesizer and they all everything just does something unique yeah and that that's cool too because you can expand on it and you know add one little extra piece and then you know you can get totally different sounds so that's that's really cool to be able to do you kind of just like have this hardware update like i've um i as a lot of people do now look at like mick gordon stuff do the, the, the doom soundtrack and um i watched a seminar from him on how he created like these unique sounds and he wasn't doing any vsts he was talking about how he literally had like 
laid out like on this massive table like 50 petals all like leading into each other then coming through like a little 10 inch speaker amp that he remiked and then ran it back through the loop of like 50 petals and he's like modulating all these pedals all at once having physical hardware does just give a different touch yeah we we did that we worked with chris Ferena, you know who used to be in nine snails and and i remember we just had good weird guitar pedals all over the place and <laughs> for guitar parts just for like one part right but it made like the coolest fucking shit like but it's just like piles of pedals all over the place i don't know i feel like that's i feel like like with vsts it's a very easy way to do things but sometimes i just kind of like making the mess and kind of oh, <laughs> for sure you know have no idea what i'm gonna do with this stuff right yeah that's something i I really need to get into uh very much so just because i haven't messed with it and since it are such a big part of my life and career that i really should be doing some more hardware based stuff definitely and um with like i mean you put out a record last year with donna vash or not last year time's going way too fast 2020 uh you bet out a record in 2020 with Donna Ashes. No, we we released a record this year. You did one this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I didn't see that. I'm an idiot. Um <laughs> and so I think, I think we actually we when you guys made a post, um someone put like our latest music video from it in the post or something. Sick. But yeah. We, yeah, that was the album where the the one that came out this year that I was kind of inspired by your stuff you're gonna I, i'm gonna have to go try to find it i'm gonna try to find the the sections uh so whenever you're writing this this stuff um the do you feel like you like what was your progression from like that 2020 record to like this record you say you always try to level up in some way like what what, what did you do on this record that really set it apart from all the rest of the on ashes stuff i got really personal uh, lyrically yeah because I, I had a lot of fans that came to me like after shows and just wrote to me and said like how the songs kind of hit them hard because mm -hmm. I, I literally like just kind of released like a lot of mental health stuff and touchy topics and i feel like people related to them a lot yeah and, it's like that wasn't even my goal i had a feeling that it would would uh dig deep within people but it was more like i needed to write this album and i feel like that it drove whatever i was like whatever came out with me with the writing i feel like it just created the darkest shit from these emotions and you know, I know that there's there's albums that other artists like Deftones and Nine Inch Nails that their best albums were when they were in their darkest fucking place. And it just creates the most it's the greatest art, in my right. opinion. Definitely. And it's also um people can sense whenever someone's being authentic, you know? Um, and whenever someone is truly putting themselves out there. Yeah, and I feel like I was as real as possible on this last album. There was like no 
sugarcoating anything, no kind of amplifying anything. It was just as raw as you can you can get. And um, even for myself, because I, I in other interviews I've, I've told people is that some of the songs are really hard for me to even perform, you know, and I don't know. I just feel like, uh, and people will tell me it's like the best Dawn of Ashes album. And I feel like that's why I feel it's because, uh, fans can definitely feel something from it and it helps them. Definitely. And that, and that is one of the best things. Um, you know, our music isn't necessarily based around the lyrics most of the time. Most of the time, uh, fans are just listening to the surface value, which is the music itself. But it is very nice being a vocalist, having someone actually pay attention to what you're saying and really looking into it. And um, it is one of the more gratifying things of performing live is having people be like, so this is what this meant to me. Like, what does it mean to you? Right. And it really is super satisfying because you're just like, wow, someone's actually paying attention. Like, <laughs> because really it is most of the time just surface value, like, um, you know, people liking music, but having someone actually dive in is, is really nice. And um, what was sort of the stuff from this record that people most were um, like feeling applied to them? Yeah, I touched on topics of mental health issues from depression to relationship struggles to triggers to um trauma therapy and like the whole concept of the album is based on a emotional dante's inferno so basically you descend into the depths of hell and end up into an emotional limbo and then kind of reaching some sort of paradise which is kind of a emotional stability it's not really a great place but it's kind of just being okay so there's just three sections of the album and i know everybody's been there so and so you feel that it is like um you're going to talk about like these sort of feelings and these experiences that you've personally had, but also um, other people experience, but might not be so open about talking about it. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like I'm sure you were like this when you were younger, you, your therapist was music. Yeah. These bands, like these albums, there, there's albums that saved me when I was a, when I was a kid. It, you know there it was like the only thing i felt like that i was connecting with yeah and i don't feel like a lot of artists do that much anymore a lot and especially in like mainstream it's very hollow in my opinion there's no emotions to it anymore it's fabricated and i feel like that's what's lacking in the music industry is that there's no real emotions that you can really connect with mm-hmm yeah, and I have a big issue with modern mainstream music and the topic matter that it's typically to, and maybe this makes me sound like a boomer, but like to have like music that is going towards a young audience 
that is strictly influencing them in ways that pretty much can only negatively impact their life. Um, uh, drugs, uh, drinking yourself to death, like those sort of things. If you have a voice, you should be trying to use it for a positive um, affirmation for people rather than being like, go to these things that could probably really negatively impact you. And I just feel like it's very fake now. Yeah. It's just really fucking fake. And I'm not going to mention a, a name, but there's an artist and she was doing an interview and she's just acting a certain way. And you're like, God damn, you're so fucking fake. And I look at someone like Bjork, mm. like an interview with Bjork, and you're <laughs> like, it's so believable. Yeah. So. I don't know. I just feel like there's just such a difference between now versus then. Yeah, and then I think I think um a lot of times back then people were were being authentic and there wasn't this uh attempt at mass stardom on the internet where now everyone's trying to do whatever is just going to get the kids attention and get you insta fame where before um the people that were did have a voice were there for a reason. Um, and they had a purpose behind what they were doing. Like, obviously there was still the, you know, especially when you get towards the hair metal days and stuff like that, there was still like the, um, you know, we're just going to be crazy party rock stars and people are into that. But a lot of music from back then for me personally did feel like, um, it was a little more in the vein of like what you're talking about when you're talking about like nine inch nails music, uh, stuff like hurt, uh, when you're talking about, um, ministry music. Or even like Fear Factory talking about some real crap about, you know, demanufacture and corruption and all that sort of stuff. They were talking about some real um, stuff that people think about but might not voice outwardly. And so for you to voice something outwardly that someone else has bottled up forever is why I feel people connect on such a deep level with music that is authentic like that right and i I, like with downward spiral i don't feel like it would have sounded the same if you know trent wasn't going through so many struggles like it Mm -hmm. it, you can tell from that album that there's just like pain and suffering in it Mm -hmm. and i feel like with now too it's like you can tell in the music too how fabricated it is it's just yeah. it's just the the rawness and the the attitude behind everything is it just doesn't feel like what you're saying authentic and real it just seems very just like fabricated and mm-hmm. uh, i don't know maybe that maybe it's just me being old now that <laughs> so i'm saying dude we're just it. we're just boomers man <laughs> right <laughs> And um, I mean, for me, it, it has to be one way or the other. So either it is truly authentic to who you are or it is like a story, you know, um, mm-hmm. like for me, when I wrote my last record, um, I, you know, luckily had actually been in the best, happiest point of my life, but I was writing the darkest, heaviest music I'd ever written. And so to have a theme that fit it, I actually was like, I'm just, I have to create a story. So I wrote a story about mass destruction and, you know, everything like that, because I, I still wanted the lyrics 
to fit the sound of the music, but I wasn't about to, you know, say about makeup stuff about, you know, how, um, you know, negative things in my life. Cause I was in a very positive point in my life. And so I think that, um, the lyrics have to match the music tonality wise, but the lyrics have to be either authentic to you or, uh, something like that tells a story in itself, like, you know, fiction. Yeah. And people ask me, cause there's certain albums I, I won't perform. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones is the one on metal blade. And it's not the fact that I don't really, I don't think the music's good at all. It's just, I feel like Dawn of Ashes is a, a different pieces of my personality and my emotions. And that album, it wasn't really about that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's hard for me to connect with it because mm-hmm. to me, the story of myself and Dawn of Ashes. And it's part of the reason why I've never given up on Dawn of Ashes because I feel I would feel very lost if I wasn't in it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but each album, like, just kind of portrays like what I'm going through or what's going on in my mind. And certain albums, I just don't like that one particularly. I just don't feel like is really telling a story about that mm-hmm. and that's why it's like difficult for me to kind of connect with that definitely um and i i i do feel that whenever you play something live that uh there's there's some songs that every time that i sing this particular part that i almost get like choked up for whatever reason like um to be honest i'm i'm not too um in my emotions often uh I get told that I'm very not emotionally connected sometimes. Uh, But even then, sometimes whenever I'm, you know, saying this very emotional lyric from an older record, uh, I actually feel it. Um, Actually, Dragon, uh, some of the lyrics in that song kind of get me a little bit sometimes whenever I'm doing it live. And um, there's just something about uh, performing these these lyrics that are uh, tied to something directly. do you almost so i was gonna ask do you almost feel like sometimes you would want to write something that's not so emotionally tied to you so that you don't have this connection to it or that connection is your is your purpose no i feel like i need to Mm -hmm. i feel like i have to because i feel like that's what makes me go on with this this band the project yeah and it's like there's so many struggles being in this group yeah and I, I I question, I'm like, why am I still doing this? It's like fucking 22 years. Like, yeah. Um, and I feel like that's, that's what keeps me going is that uh, I have a way to express whatever's going on in me into a musical form and have it resonate with, you know, Dawn of Ashes fans. Yeah. And, I actually, I actually feel that a lot because I, I think every musician at some point has moments where they say that exactly like, what am I doing? Like there's, there's plenty of reasons, um, to not want to continue on, especially getting older. It's like, 
um, financially, it, it takes a lot of time and effort and stress to write a music like this whenever you could be spending that time being financially responsible or whatever it might be. But I absolutely feel an obligation to my fans uh, with the music to where in the times that I felt most like, what am I doing? Like, I need to stop this because, you know, it takes so much effort or so stressful, uh, especially with all the label bull crap I've been with. Uh, there's been times when I've really just not wanted to care about it anymore, but I didn't. It's like the one thing that um, like people would be disappointed if I stopped, you know, and I don't want to disappoint people. I have I feel like I have an obligation and now I'm in a way better part of my life where it's like I want to do it. I'm. You know, I, I don't have those questions now, but there was plenty of times throughout where I would, the only reason I was doing the Browning still at that time was because I felt an obligation to the fans. Uh, I mean, I, I can't even count how many times I'm <laughs> like, I mean, we actually did pull the plug. Um, I think it was 2014. Mm-hmm. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get it. away that way yeah. i was just like what the fuck am i doing yeah and i feel like every time it's like i mean even after this last tour i was like man i can't do this anymore and now i'm literally writing another dawn of ash film <laughs> it's just like and there's just something in me that just it just can't stop it's like an addiction i feel like yeah and this is something i've i've said recently um quite often um because whenever COVID started then the music industry completely shut down like i started a, a proper business like selling products and something i realized not only about my mentality but talking to other musicians is um musician like being a dedicated lifelong a lifer in music in general like has the same mentality that has to be there for like entrepreneurs like has essentially a band is an entrepreneurship. Like you are starting a, 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 a product that you're trying to, you know, build and you are absolutely dedicated. And the mentality that um, these lifelong musicians have is like perfect for entrepreneurship. And so something I'm actually really wanting to get into now is helping musicians build companies outside of music so they can be financially stable because like, Imagine if there was a product that you had that you loved as much as Dawn of Ashes, you know, it's just nice to have something to be so to be financially viable outside of music. Like your the mentality that musicians have is absolutely right there with like super, super successful entrepreneurs and um, like that, that feeling of I can't let this go away because I've put this much effort and I'm so passionate. Yeah, I've I've had a lot of people. They're like one of the things that they say about me is they're like my drive is just fucking insane and it's like they're like literally you're you're on another album and you're writing two other albums yeah. and it's just like it's i'm like i don't know how to stop yeah definitely <laughs> like i like if i stop doing it i start getting like uncomfortable i'm like okay so fuck am i gonna do like <laughs> yeah so I'm like literally back on another out or like something will come into my head. Mm-hmm. I'll just be driving and something will hit my, come into my head. And I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And then it's all of a sudden spider web effects. And now I'm back into 
the name of an album, the cover <laughs> design. Yeah. Like this is what I'm gonna do on it. And I'm like, shit. I'm like, I just told myself I was gonna give myself a break. Yep. It's just how it yep. happens. Exactly. I'm I'm the same way at all times. There's sounds going through my head. My phone is just full of videos of me, you know, saying these things so I can try to lay it down later. And yeah. it's just it's a nonstop thing. And I do not think it's something we can get away from. Um and it's actually something that I'm currently uh that I currently like. Uh, do struggle with like mentally because I got I got so involved in this business that I've been doing um it has been very successful to where like I have to pay attention to that and I haven't written very much music since I put out the last record and that came out in like 2020 and I haven't written very much music and it is dragging me down so hard mentally just that the fact that I've like since then I've done like three songs maybe like that is one of the biggest like stressful things like i feel like i'm wasting time because i'm not putting out music i feel like i'm disappointing people because i'm not putting out music it's like it's bad <laughs> i also like to one-up myself and I, yeah. I do that with the the concept of our music videos like yeah i'm all about striking some sort of spark into someone even if it's negatively yeah. <laughs> so you know our our music videos are very hard for some people to watch mm -hmm. and same with when we perform yeah but it, it's just like my my one-up mentality it's like that mu that music video is fucked up what can i do to make <laughs> the next video even more fucked up and it look better and yeah and the special effects are insane that's what happens to me i, I write an album and i'm like yeah this album's cool what can I do? Yep. Get to the next level. You you trying to be modern day Gigi Allen or something? <laughs> <laughs> not not to that extent. Yeah. Yeah, probably best. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that's a little too much. And that could only have existed in that exact time. If someone was oh, doing yeah. that stuff now, holy crap. <laughs> I know. I know. There's certain things I do that are risky. I I've been permanently banned from tiktok I, i'm not allowed oh on really because I, I posted um a video from something that we released on metal blade you know years ago and yeah they i got this message that i'm not allowed on tiktok <laughs> they couldn't handle it so and, and that's one thing that shows the the difference of <laughs> 2010 to even now you know it's uh i i think about some of the music that was on the radio in early 2000s or uh these music videos that were on mtv you know back in the early 2000s or 90s totally different yeah. ball game we released this music video um a couple months ago and our european booking agent she's like i don't know if you should release that i already got a complaint from this promoter for this festival that they don't want you playing there because they think you're a woman abuser and i'm like <laughs> what right like, give me a fucking break i'm like yeah i mean it, it is just that is one thing about the industry now is people being too concerned about being canceled or you know whatever it might be and uh it it is a shame that you know you're trying to do something creative and it could be perceived as a, a no he's actually like that he's trying to like like people listen to my music and they'll come to me and like the last album I was talking about, you know, 
a, a being that was coming to destroy all of humanity and consume their souls and kill every living human being. And they're like, well, you have a kid. Like, what are you, why are you writing stuff like that? I'm like, I don't, I don't actually want everyone to die. That's not the, what I'm saying. I know. What about movies and horror movies exactly. and stuff like that? Like, if you're really going to take that to the heart, I mean, it's <laughs> just ridiculous. It's funny because I think it was, I think it was last year I posted a photo and it was actually a photo of me from 2013 and it literally got like, I, I got attacked by the cancel culture. Really? They attacked me. And I'm like, I didn't get it this much attention back then for this photo like yeah what was so wrong with the photo uh, it was me burning a bible or something like that and really and i just got attacked and i'm like but this photo is so old and i right like you, you would think uh, people would be way more into that nowadays <laughs> I, I don't know yeah I, just, I was like I, I i thought it was amusing i was just like wow yeah anything like that i do very much so sit back and just be like whatever like i i cannot be bothered at all currently about <laughs> any sort of those sort of opinions and people trying to take away from art to you know try to cancel someone and and there are justified reasons to cancel people but uh definitely a, a creative music video that's telling a story about something you know that's not that's not a reason to cancel someone yeah, and I'm just like thinking in my head. I mean, that's what like Don of Ash is all about. I mean, if you actually watch the music videos, it's, yep. there's nothing tame about it. Like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, that's not really my my goal with this this group. Yeah. So, and so yeah. moving forward, because uh, Don of Ash is still really good, like listener base, um, like, and so what is the goal? moving forward like um with what you're doing like is it you know sign try to get on as many playlists as possible is it try to you know like what are you doing to progress it or do you like where it's at i actually after the tour i sat back and kind of evaluated things and i had a lot of my mind because like i said i was like about to pull the plug and then i'm like don't want to do that so i'm like trying to figure out what i'm doing yeah everything um label wise i mean we're on a label but i'm kind of open i'm just trying to find bigger opportunities yeah uh, especially like touring like one of the things is i want to go on tour with like a more successful band mm -hmm. and i i don't want to do headlining definitely tours anymore and it's like i kind of want to um gain new fans that have never heard from us and that's kind of like why i've been trying to get into the death court scene definitely because i feel like these fans have never heard something like this and you know they're hearing stuff with like synths and yep stuff that it'd be interesting to see you know what they they thought about us well, you know there's plenty of crossover especially if you have the energy live like that's that's all that matters and you do have the energy live and um you know for me the most successful tours that i mean you're exactly right you can't do headlining tours forever because then you're not bringing new heads to it you you have the same exact people coming and even dwindling you know 
So you can't just do headline tours forever. You're exactly right on that. And for me, it was like our the tours that have always been most successful turnout wise or turnover, like as in fans coming from that tour to our next headliner, because that's the goal. Um, garner fans from these other tours so that your next headliner actually has people there is stuff like Mushroom Head, Fear Factory, Static X, like tours like that that have like kind of these older, more mainstay fans. They absolutely come out and support. Problem I feel in deathcore or like the core genres in general is uh, people are very like hype train driven. Like they're this this is the popular band right now, so we're going to that and don't really care what else has happened and just want to see the the TikTok thing, you know. And so, like I feel like um, you know those are nice because there's a ton of heads there, um, but really the the more mainstay bands is those fans if. If these people have been listening to Mushroom Head for 25 years, they're going to listen to the Brownie. Like, <laughs> that was kind of my thought process. Yeah, and I feel like the, the I'm trying to gain more younger fans. Young fans, yes. You I have feel to have like, young fans. Yeah, I feel like our, well, I mean, I've actually seen it. Our fan base is like late 20s, 30s, around there. Yeah. You know, and motionless and white very young fans yeah it's like like motionless and white fans would like dawn of ashes for sure yes um so i'm just like i'm trying to figure out how to get past the wall right now and Mm -hmm. one of the things is going on another tour with a more successful band Mm -hmm. trying to figure out maneuver past the whole social media bullshit (laughs) and I don't know. Just yeah. Write another album, I guess. Definitely. I mean, we're living in a in a time definitely when you can you can have a career as a touring musician and you can also have as have a, a career as just a musician that puts music out online and makes money off of that. And so it's like it's nice cuz we actually do have options nowadays where I I do feel like before you absolutely were 100% had to tour or you weren't doing nothing. But nowadays, yeah. I feel like you do have the option to have a successful music career without it. But it definitely helps gain lifelong fans doing like those tours, hundred percent. And like you said, with the wall, that's a that's an issue on so many levels. Um, because I do feel like there's like a couple tier lists that once you hit the top of that tier, like it's so hard to break into that next tier. But that next tier is so significant that it's like it's like right there, you know, it's like you, you go from being a band that gets paid a uh, hundred to $200 a night. And then you straight jump up to like six, 700. Then from that, you jump up to almost 2000. And then from that tier, you jump to like eight, like it, it's such a significant jump every single time. And right, right when you get on that precipice, it's like, it's hard to break to that next tier, but there's, there's issues with every single tier. I mean, even like talking to, you know, bands that are hyper successful, like, you know, talking to like Electric Cowboy, like they are absolutely killing it. They've always been doing, you know, two to 4,000 people in Germany every single show. And they'll go to Japan and do 2,000 people. But even then they're like, well, how do we break that in the States? I'm like, why do you care? Like, <laughs> like you're fine. But everyone always wants that next tier. And it's so hard to, to get to it. it really is. Yeah, it's just for a band with our history 
it's hard to be relevant now i feel like because we were at some point and now it's trying to get become relevant again i feel like that's where the the wall is for for doa yeah um, not to say we don't have a good fan base i just feel like with the right opportunity we can have even more oh 100 yeah I don't, I don't think in any way like uh being a long-term band is a negative effect on, at all and so if people have seen the name and so if they you know see the name in the modern world they're like oh yeah and then you know popping on the new train and so a hundred percent especially with your style and especially in the realm that we are now um with streaming being such a big aspect and uh listening being such a big aspect i think that this style of music has more potential than any genre really uh right and so yeah i 100 percent think that you'll be totally chill you'll be good right on thank you yeah yeah and uh so on uh the new stuff when do you think this new record is going to be done five years kind of just um (laughs) working on it on a slow pace it's like um i'm just being very anal about it i guess yeah uh because it's like i have this like sound in mind and unless i like fully like capture that sound like Mm -hmm. i don't want to release it definitely so i just been kind of pacing myself with it one nice thing about the modern world too is um I don't think it's as beneficial to release like 12 song records anymore. I feel, I feel like it's like three songs is all you have to do. <laughs> That's the other thing I was been in my head. I'm like, how many fucking songs am I going to do like this? I'm like, do I do 12 songs? Do I do right. 10? Like, I'm like, what the <laughs> hell am I doing? I th- I feel like people our age want to do a full record because we want a full scope. But I think in the modern world with having to put out as much music as possible to stay relevant, I feel like the three song limit is like where it is. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that that's like the sweet spot. Cause you constantly have new music out. Yeah. It will get released at some point. I my allergies are popping off right now and we've been going for an hour and a half. So <laughs> really? Just, it's been that long. It has been an hour and a half. Nice. Yeah. But when you get to, you know synth metal dudes talking what do you expect right yeah exactly <laughs> well i appreciate you being here and chatting with me and you need to send me your new music as you work on it as well yeah and maybe uh we should tour together at some point tour collab on songs that's one thing i'm oh, yeah. i'm look at me i'm freaking crying these allergies you got me all uh you're talking about emotions and stuff and look at me now and right. <laughs> uh one thing i really want to do is do a lot more collaborations with artists in our style and so 100% because you you make some sounds that I absolutely cannot so everyone needs to go check out your stuff surprised you guys haven't done like a remix album with the type of uh stuff you do so it's actually finished and remember when I said unfortunately I signed to Universal Uh uh-huh things take a long time whenever you're signed to some crap like this so yeah it actually we've had a remix record done now for about six months so we'll get there (laughs) all right yeah the red tape you know how it is Uh uh-huh yeah (laughs) heck yeah well i appreciate you talking to me man and i will talk to you here soon all right cool thanks man yeah peace out all right 
Thank you for listening all the way through that episode. And don't forget, head over to burnthisworld.com and click become a member. For only $3 a month or $30 for an entire year, you get a bunch of exclusive content and you help support the podcast being a full-time thing. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one. Peace.